Love Talk Radio. The Keys is proud to announce the Communicators, airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host, Brother Leroy, from the heart of Harlem, USA. Don't forget, every Saturday, 7 p.m., The Communicator, with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Coverage and 
as folks, people are tied into status. A very large feature appeared in the Yonkers section of the New York Times several years back talking about how this young man was able to turn around a school as a assistant principal or vice principal. Well, we'll get some of those stories from him as we pursue what we can do regarding developing talent and gifted programs for our children. But first of all, we want an understanding of exactly what that kind of system or program is within the public school system. Without further ado, our good brother, Brother Shango Blake. God bless you. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. Thank you, brother, for having me on your show. It's an honor to be with you once again. Thank you, my brother. First, we would like for you, based on your experience, to describe what a talent and gifted program is within the school system or within a school district. Well, usually a, 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 a talented and gifted program is a program that can be centered around a number of things. It can be centered around arts, science. Uh, it can be centered around uh, uh, higher uh, higher levels of math, like physics. Um, I mean, I'm excuse me, higher levels like math, like pre-calculus. Or if you're dealing with the sciences, you're dealing with physics, you're dealing with engineering. Um, and these programs uh, start, literally, they start testing for these programs at the pre-K level. And based upon um, how a student does on whatever assessment that they give them on the pre-K level, they'll get into a, a, a school that has a uh, gifted and talented program embedded in, into the school curriculum. And then they'll get into that elementary school, and then from that elementary school, that elementary school feeds into a middle school, which usually is a feeder into the specialized high schools, which can be tracked right to your Ivy League colleges. So the competition... Uh, for uh, getting students into these gifted and talented programs starts literally at the pre-K uh, age. Okay. So take us on a journey with some parents who have their children tested at various points. We'll start at the one that you indicated, the uh, pre-K well, I can give you an example, um, and, and let me just tell you this interesting because just like charter schools, um, it's either through testing or through the lottery, or through a lottery-based system. But I can give you an example of a school that I knew in Queens, uh, where literally there would be, I mean, from a parental experience, there would be lines around the corner uh, of parents, uh, sometimes a day before, sometimes two days before, trying to get the application to get the young people or uh, their children into a particular pre-K program, and unfortunately, um, I'm going to talk about specifically communities of color, there are not a lot of gifted and talented programs uh, in communities of color. So when parents find out about it, uh, there's such a, 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 a want and a desire for the children to get into schools like this because what parent doesn't want their child to uh, get into a program that they think is going to give them a competitive edge? And um, I've seen parents uh, who have um, been overjoyed because the child got into to the program, but the vast majority of the children don't get into the program because there's simply mathematically not enough seats for the amount of interest. And so many parents walk away, you know, disheartened, uh, upset, frustrated, uh, and, and really not knowing what they're going to do in terms of school choice. 
okay, but let's go through the process. Uh, family A has their child tested in family B, C, and D. Let's take the successful ones and the ones who don't make it. Okay, well, if we look at the, the ones who are successful, of course they're happy that their child gets into the program because they get that slot and they get that seat. And and then they have at the very, uh, 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 from that point on, they have a competitive edge because they're like tracked into a track that will lead to, like I said, uh, some of the best colleges in this country. So those parents who, who get their children into the into this, now I'm looking at the pre-K piece, and not to say that they don't have uh, programs on other levels, uh, middle school and elementary, what have you, but I'm looking at this pre-K piece because that particular pre-K school feeds into a very high-performing, arts-enriched, uh, gifted and talented elementary school, which then feeds into, like I said, a middle school, high school, what have you. So those parents that get their children into those programs tend to uh, be very happy with the outcome, uh, very involved because they get they they now are part of a culture that says you are uh, different than the students who didn't get involved get into the program. The, the the parents who don't get accepted, then they have to go to their uh, local community zone school, and those schools uh, many times do not have the extra uh, additional programs and, and, and the innovation in terms of curriculum. And so those parents have a much tougher way to go in terms of putting their children in courses that are going to be academically challenging and at the same time enriched. And, and it's like a tale of two cities. It's, it's, it, what it means is that our students are being tracked at a very young age. They're being, they're being tracked towards, one is being tracked towards success, while the vast majority are being tracked towards uh, a, a life that's going to be, um, well, how do I say it, a life that's, gonna, that, that, that's not going to give them the best paying job, not going to give them the greatest amount of opportunity, and, and, and running the risk of uh, being locked up down the line because some of these tracks lead actually to uh, prison. There is a school-to-prison pipeline. You indicated that not many talented and gifted opportunities exist within black neighborhoods. How is that determined which neighborhoods get what? It's it's determined by the, the by two things by the, the the attitude and the mentality of the central administration who makes these decisions, and it's also determined by the uh, uh, the pressure that the parents that parents put on the system to make sure that those kinds of programs are in their community. Um, if you just take New York City for example, uh, there's been a lot of uh, uh, controversy around gifted and talented because. When you look at uh, the numbers, just from a number standpoint, um, the students that are getting into, like, let's say, the best high schools, uh, it's almost like educational apartheid when you look at the percentages of black and Latino children that are in these high schools as compared to white and Asian. And you can look at Bevis-Stuyvesant. You, you can look at uh, uh, Brooklyn Tech. You can look at all of these schools. As a matter of fact, I believe in the Amsterdam News recently, um, uh, there was an, a, an article, an op-ed piece on the whole testing industry and the amount of students that are actually of color that are actually in these specialized high schools. 
But the reason why these things exist is because uh, there's an arrogance on the part of administration often and an apathetic attitude on the part of parents who are not applying the necessary pressure to the school system to make sure that that uh, that there are more balanced ways to make sure that students get the same opportunities across um, all ethnicities. Where have you, you said the pressure that parents put on, where have you seen gifted and talented programs existing where politicians put pressure on the so-called Board of Education, Department well, of you, Education? You will see it in, in communities like Bayside, uh, Little Neck, Douglaston, uh, upper Upper West Side in Manhattan, um, and really it's the it's really the parents who are who are who are proactive putting pressure on the politicians. The parents of those communities are putting pressure on the politicians who are in turn putting pressure on the Department of Education. And so um, I'll I'll give you an example. If you, if you remember a couple of years back, uh, there was this there was this thing that they were that they were doing in New York City called uniformed curriculum where every school was going to basically have a cookie-cutter approach to curriculum and to the pacing calendar, and they would follow the same curriculum throughout the year. And in school districts like Bayside and Douglaston, the parents were outraged. They said they did not want to participate in the program, and they basically put pressure on the politicians, so much pressure that the chancellor, who was Klein at the time, just gave those school districts a waiver, and they opted out of the program altogether. But in communities like South Jamaica, Queens, Central Harlem, uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, places like that, they were mandated to follow this curriculum, and if they didn't, there would be severe consequences. So it's just uh, this institutional racism that still exists within the Department of Education and and there is a an, an attitude, an inferior attitude that comes from many of us uh, uh, as as a people that don't allow us to really understand the importance of applying pressure to these uh, institutions and making sure that that we hold them accountable to the needs of our children. Okay, so the ultimate goal of a talented and gifted program is to identify those who have talents in a particular area and track them, guide them through the elementary, junior high school, high school stages where they're in a position to go to a college or university that further enables them to turn that talent or gift into a so-called career, job, et cetera. Yes, but, and, and to me, that is um, it's a travesty because the, 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 the mere name gifted and talented, all of our children are gifted. All of us as human beings have gifts, okay, that are deposited in us, you know, by God. And if we... And, and, and education, true education, is supposed to bring out what is hidden and, and bring it to light. So that gift that God plants in, in us for our communities, as you earlier said, and for society, is, is education supposed to help us, you know, find that gift, nurture that gift, and, and, and extract it in a way in which it can help develop civilization. 
the, the, the problem is that that someone is deciding that there's only a few people that, that, that qualify under the term gifted. And there's someone else that's saying, and the way we're going to determine who's qualified to be considered gifted is we're going to give a, 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 a test. And based upon this test, we will say this person's gifted, this person's not gifted. And so what, you, what you're really looking at is one indicator, an, a, an assessment that is being used to put young people in different categories. And not only that, but the whole mindset of saying you're gifted and you're not is discriminatory. Exactly, from a universal standpoint. From a universal standpoint. And then and I just want to say in terms of talent, well, the gift is what's innate, and the talent is, is something that is that can that can be nurtured. That can be picked up and developed. You know, no one. Um, some people are more musically inclined than others, but a but a but a but a person can pick up a saxophone and develop that talent, and that talent can be nurtured, and they can become a master saxophonist or a master artist or a master violinist or pianist. So, so these are talents. So, why does one group consistently get exposed to these kinds of uh, experiences? And another group doesn't. We're only dealing with, you know, if you really look at it, in in one sense the system is dealing with one group of students focusing only on reading, writing, and arithmetic, while another group, yeah, they're dealing with those basic skills, but they're also dealing with critical thinking skills, uh, how to evaluate and assess, um, giving them enrichment, pro, uh, enriching uh, programs that that tap into their different creative sides or giving them a, a program in a mathematics program that taps into their higher order thinking or causes them as a pupil to say, I want to do my own kind of research. So one group is having a very uh, a very enriched uh, educational experience that's not rooted just in testing. And another group is being tested. And when you test and you say standards, we have to remember that when we say standards, we're talking about the basics and the bare minimum. It's not, you know, so when people say, I did good on the test, what you're saying is that, yeah, I did the basics. Hmm. You're not you're not talking about going beyond the basics and then now doing with your mind what the basics were supposed to cultivate. If you can basically read, write, okay, and, 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 and understand mathematic concepts, then that's a foundation that's supposed to be, uh, a stepping stone to critical thinking skills, to logic, to evaluating and assessing situations, to great artistic and creative expressions. That's education. We're giving our children, uh, 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 they're leaving high school basically with a maybe sixth to seventh grade reading level and basic and that is it. How, how are we going to produce a civilization when we're only dealing with the minimums? With that belief that you have that all children, all human beings are gifted and that they have talents, given your belief and given the nature, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Given the nature of the system, whether it's in Yonkers or in New York City proper, given your belief and how the system is structured, what did you do in Yonkers as an assistant or a vice principal 
and what did you do after that at Queens in Queens at the Queens School that reflected your belief, which I believe would automatically beget a program, and I put that in quote quotes that would tap into the gifts and talents of the total student body. Well, as an assistant principal in Yonkers, I'll start there. Um, and it's, it's so interesting. Before I, say, before I go there, I want to say that I think that um, um, one of the major issues that I had with uh, both Yonkers and in New York City is rooted in belief. And there are some that believe that um, our children, children of color, are a lost cause. And and they carry that belief and attitude, and, and they're very unapologetic and, and, and what's so unbelievable about that mindset is that these are the same people that are teaching our children. So they're teaching our children with inherent belief that our children can't learn. Mm. And so they go through the motions as, instead of, Really saying, wait a minute, no, 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 no. We're gonna, we, we know that these children can learn, and we're gonna expect more from them, and we're gonna hold them accountable to higher standards, and we're gonna push them because there's brilliance there. They have a mindset of, well, I taught the curriculum, and they didn't get in, and what do you expect? And then they, then they uh, rattle off all the things that we hear all the time. Oh, you know, well, they come from this neighborhood, and oh, they're single, and mother's a single mother, and. Oh, you know, they 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 have uh, uh, they've gotten into trouble in school so many different times. So this is this is the attitude and the belief system of those who are teaching our children. Let me just say this: I'm not pointing out specifically teachers. When I say teaching, I'm saying from the teacher to the administrator to the superintendent, right on up to the people who create policy. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say that as a backdrop the work that I did in Yonkers because one of the biggest issues that I had is that what we produce in the way of excellence for children challenges, confronts, and dismantles and destroys that belief and removes all excuses. And when that happens, then what, what the result is is that people have to now say, they have to rethink what they're doing, and they have to now teach, which means they're going to have to... Um, Okay, let me not, uh, I was going to say something, but I said they have to get off their lazy behinds and work on behalf of our young people. Brother Shango, I'm sorry, Brother Shango Blake is our guest here on the Communicators on the Keys 107 Network. Of course, you're listening to Blog Talk Radio. Program is the Communicators. I'm your host, Brother Leroy. We're talking about talented and gifted programs in schools wherever you might reside as you listen to this program. We're dealing with the situation and those measures that black people can begin to take to offset a systematic gutting and elimination or keeping away of talented and gifted programs within the public school system and even the so-called charter school system wherever it might exist in their communities. We're starting with his experience as a school administrator, vice president. You have to correct me on the title, but you were not the principal in Yonkers, but in an assistant assistant principal. Is that the title? 
yes, sir. In, in Yonkers and then uh, having attained uh, later on a principalship in Queens. And yes. in both of those areas, in Yonkers and in Queens, he was able to do, to well, he, with cooperating uh, teachers and administrators, of course, parents, able to do some things that had not been dreamed of before. But I want you to repeat the statement as it relates to where you start. The, the, the belief system, first of all, is what you believe in expectations and the ability of black children learning is, is at a poor level. I'll put it in my words. Yes. So, therefore... You set up a challenge. I think you set up a challenge, uh, your wording. I just needed you to rephrase, not rephrase it, but state it again so that it would sink into our heads as to the simplicity of what you, the position that you took. Yeah. Very simply put, I believe that our children could compete at the highest level with the best of, 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 of those students who are succeeding at high levels in society and in school. And my belief was contrary to the uh, the prevailing belief that our children just can't do it. And so there's one group that believes they can and one group that believes they can't. And when you come in as the change agent trying to bring a new idea then you get challenged because now those two beliefs are conflicting. And then when you have success, you become hated because now it shines the light on those who have been historically not servicing our children. So I'll give you the example of Yonkers as an assistant principal in Yonkers. Um, you know, it's not it's, so the first thing is belief, and then the second thing is approach and method. And in Yonkers, um, I noticed that. Uh, a lot of the students who um, attended, uh, I was I worked at two schools in Yonkers. One was Lincoln High School and one was Gordon High School. And a lot of the students um, there attend church. Uh, it's a very uh, uh, strong church community in Yonkers. It's about maybe 20 or 15 churches, and the students all attend these different churches, what have you. And uh, the students... Uh, approached me and said, hey, you know, we want to start a gospel choir. Now, if you look at the students who asked me to do this, these were the students who were causing havoc in the hallways, who were getting into fights, who attendance was spotty, who had social uh, issues that they were dealing with at home and community issues that they were dealing with just coming back and forth from school. And so what I did was I said, okay, well, we're going to start this gospel choir because that's what you're interested in. And I'm a firm believer that you have to use student interest to hook them into the standards that you're trying to take them to. And so we started this gospel choir. And embedded in the rules were, uh, you know, you had to have perfect attendance. You had to perform and achieve on, on academically uh, at a certain level. Uh, you had to have a uh, uh, minimum uh, issues in school when it came to being disciplined. And so I took all the students that everybody had wrote off and we gave them the gospel choir, we gave them an academic plan, we gave them a social plan, and then we held them accountable 
but also we gave them an opportunity to do the thing that they love, which was to sing and to be involved. Then taking the concept of that choir, we um, I reached out to the parents and started a gospel choir parents association, and then now we were pulling the parents in it, re-educating to them about what we wanted to see happen with the children, and they became strong and they became advocates and pushed the system to create even more kinds of music and art programs in the mm. Yonkers public school system. And then we took the churches that were all, they were divided amongst each other. This church didn't deal with that church, that church didn't deal with that one, and we brought them together in unity around the gospel choir. So now what do you have? You have a school, parent, community, partnership, all centered around academic excellence. Then we took the students on, this was a high school, so we took the students on a college tour to the historically black colleges down south and and showed them how if they stayed on the course that they were on, that they would get a certain GPA and showed them how you could actually intend Hampton University, Howard University, Tuskegee, uh, Florida AMU, that you would be qualified, and we showed them the scholarships and and a lot of these students would be these would be the first to go to college. So we had to teach them about financial aid and you know uh, how to be uh, uh, financially literate when it came to filling out these FAFSA forms and understanding the difference between a scholarship, a grant, and a loan, and debt, and all these other things. And uh, the result was that several of those students graduated from the high school. They went on to college. I just left today one of my students who was on that college tour who Ooh. just received an award, a community service award in Yonkers for being an up-and-coming young professional who went away to school and is now Ooh. actively working in a nonprofit-based organization helping young people Ooh. in her community, and she's only 24 years old. Go ahead. So. There's, so so this is what I mean, and, and if you would have looked at that young person at that time and judged her based upon her transi- you know, her transitioning from a child into adulthood, you might have misread her. But mm-hmm. she's, but I mean, I was sitting there, the mayor of Yonkers gave her a proclamation, the city council people, and they all talked about the work that she was doing, and she's leading in Yonkers people 20 years her elder. So that shows you. That shows you that you can't let our children off. And that was just the work that we did in Yonkers, and she's just one example. However, in order to do that, I had to confront teacher apathy. I had to confront a system that that, that, that really doesn't believe our children can learn and, and, and the mindset of people who really don't want our children to learn because it upsets the social order of things. And this is why you have gifted and talented in some communities and not in others because there's a certain order that's in place. And when you start really making change, people applaud you in the beginning and pay you lip service. But if you if you keep on pushing and don't stop at the point that doesn't that, – that, and, and what we start to make them feel uncomfortable is when you start to create children that now can compete with their children. Mm. That's what becomes the problem. Brother Shango Blake, we have – Sister Shakima on the line calling from Brooklyn. God bless you, my sister. Thank you for your patience. You're on the black air. Hi. I just I just wanted to say that I think that all these, like, the gifted and talented programs and, like, the charter schools, I think those are made to, like, divide our people. Like, like there's a lot of schools, like, in my neighborhood, right? Like, they close them down, then they open them back up 
and we put like four schools in one, and now the people who was already going there, they have to yeah. like compete to get back in there. Like it's a competition. Like they got to get a certain score to get back in the school that they was already in. And what mm-hmm. I want to know is, isn't like if the parents like if they don't want charter schools and stuff like that in the area, since they um making it a competition, can something be done about that? Like, can they go to like the councilman or something? Well, that's a that's a great question, and you're absolutely right. It is a divide and conquer strategy, because you have to understand for the parents who get into the charter, then the charter begins to so uh, to be, begins their propaganda campaign with them. You know, this is going to help your child. This is this is best for you. You know, and and you're special. And so those parents that get in, they feel that sense of this is a good school. And I don't put take anything away from those parents who get into a program like that because they're looking for something. Right. An alternative to already exist, and what already exists is not working. And but but then what happens is that a, the the problem is that they'll take the charter school, and they'll put the charter school in a a public school that's already functioning. They call this co-locating, and so now you have an in-your-face kind of situation where the students that are in the regular public school see all the resources and money that's being given to the charter and they see that they're not getting the same level of money and resources, and the parents, and and then so there becomes a a split between the parents and the the public school and the parents and the charter school. And one one of the things that that we need to understand as as a people and as a community is that we cannot fall into the divide and conquer because really, if you're in a charter school or public school, you should be uniting around saying we need as many quality educational programs and schools in our community so that the parents in the charter should be saying that if you're going to do this for us, then you need to do it for the other schools in the community as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and Anyway, I just want to answer her question. Yes, when it comes to these kind of issues, you contact your city council person, and also a very important person to, to contact is your state assembly and state senator who are responsible for the budget that is given to education annually. And when you look at the budget for education, you will see that there's more money being spent on uh, the juvenile justice system than on education. Mm-hmm. So more resources and money is, is carved out for um, intervention or detention than in creating the kind of educational programs that will prevent a child from going to jail in the first place. Sister mm-hmm. Shakima, did you have a follow-up question for him? Well, did you? yeah, I have one more question. I have one more question. I was, I, I was like, when, when you were talking about, like, the gifted and talented, right, Can't, is, is it something like... Um, is there such thing as like um, a whole school being that way? Because like they have like certain children in there, and like some some children are smarter than the children that's not in there. Some of them are smarter than the ones that are and gifted and talented, but they're not in the program. Well, certain schools have like, magnet pro, magnet programs where they they focus on specific themes, um, and it it could be a career based magnet, it could be an art entertainment based magnet, a law based magnet. So, you know, there are schools that do that both in uh, uh, charter and in public schools. 
Um, but when you're talking about the gifted and talented uh, specifically, you're really talking about, and I'll, I'll use the high school as, as, as an example, you're really talking about students having an opportunity to take, let's say, college-based courses while still in high school and getting college credit. And, oh, and, I can't. And, go ahead. I'm not saying why can't, like, everybody be taught that, like the whole school, every every student there. Why is it only certain people? No, it should be. But what happens is that if you talk to the city, they'll say, well, we don't have the necessary resources to do that in every community. So then the question becomes, well, who's determining what community gets what? Because yeah, it's definitely not in my communities. No gifted and talented programs. Yeah. What we're, what we're uh, correct me, Brother, Brother Shango, I'm, I'm adding in, what we're attempting to do is not just have a discussion on talent in a gifted program, but show, show exactly how the system is set up and the message, the message that, not the message that I'm looking at, what I'm looking at when I hear, and this is to you, Brother Shango, what, I, what I'm looking at when I hear talented and gifted, I'm automatically, and that, and that the black community is not getting these so-called programs, I'm automatically looking at a situation of deprivation that is is a systematic setup it's within the system. So if it's within the system, the injustice is within the system, then you can't, it's not something that you necessarily correct. It's something that you have to analyze and challenge and also set up a system outside of the school structure that will enable more children to be under the guidance of people who are, um, uh, let's say, mathematicians and scientists and whatnot. I'm talking about calling on resources. The, yeah. If we if we battle the system, we're going to get but so much. There's there's only a few Shango Blakes around, and mm-hmm. he's out of the system right now, Sister uh, Shakima, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And and so when you listen and you you find out that the system is set up on an unjust basis, do we try to change the the injustice that's built into the system, or do we expose it and at the same time get what little we can out of the system, but most of all begin to harness the resources within our communities to develop those uh, um Supplementary programs that will enable our children to learn, all of our children to learn. That's that's where my head is, Brother Shango, in terms of her question and understanding of this of this situation. Your your response. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think mean, I think it's a two prong approach. That there's here's 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 the reality. We we have to set up our own institutions because we'll never get That's real education under a people uh, that is that never brought us here to be educated uh, in the first place. So you know, you got we have to understand that dynamic. You know, we're in a country where it was against the law punishable by death to teach a black person how to read. Right. And that mindset and that mentality still holds true to the, to this day. I mean, it's 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 it may not be written in the books like it was, but that the attitude that developed that law is still present, and we can see it just by the results. Look at how many of our black men 
or not graduated from high school. Look at how many of our students who do graduate from high school graduate functionally illiterate and have to take mediation classes when they get to community colleges. Look at how most of our men are now in jail and on college campuses. So the mindset is there. We understand that the school was never designed to educate them. Period. Not just black The purpose of school in this country was to train. To train. And 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 just like you have uh we have um uh a need in the society, then we train people to do a job that fulfills that need. So when we were an agricultural society, you went to school to learn better farming techniques. When we were industrial, we had home economics and wood shop and mechanics in school to teach people to fulfill those jobs because there was a need, a demand that needed to be fulfilled, especially during wartime. Now we we are in the information age. So everything is, let's get computers in the school, let's get smart boards. It's all about training, but training doesn't mean education. You can you can train a dog to take a basketball and shoot into a hoop. Now, is that dog educated? Mm. No, that dog is trained. So this this society is not set up, I mean, this school system is not set up to, to really educate the American people, period, and specifically not um, black people. So, so um we have to develop our own institutions. You know, we have institutions like uh, Muhammad University of Islam, and uh, I know there's a school in Queens, Learning the Learning Tree, and other uh, independent black educational institutions where we can educate our children. That is the way to go. And there's also homeschooling, you know, and there's a whole homeschool network out there where people homeschool their children and then they have a homeschool association and then they work together to develop trips and programs and curriculums. So we have alternatives that we need to begin to look on and then tap and then and then develop resources, I mean, or partnerships with uh, black uh, economists and black engineers and uh, uh, black lawyers to come in and give our children that professional experience that's going to that's going to help them have a competitive edge in today's society. But, but the other those, part of that is okay, one more part. The other uh-huh. part is that the masses of our children, as we steal away to Jesus, as they say, the the masses of our children are in urban public education. So we have to build our own institutions, but yet still put pressure on those who are supposed to be developing the kind of curriculum. Uh, that gives our students a fighting chance. Because if we don't, then as Minister Farrakhan right. said in the book, Torchlight for America, who are we sending our children out in the world to meet? That's right. So, Brother brother uh, Shango, we have another call on the line. Sister Shakim, I want to thank you for your participation. And please share the information that you get from this program with others. It's not that uh, for any of our listeners... Uh, that they would understand fully what is going on uh, immediately. But when you let this this information marinate in one's head, then it leads in the direction of of what we can do. What is that we can do to help our children? Sister uh, Shakima, thank you very much. We're moving on to our next caller, Brother Zach from Hackensack. God bless you. Thank you for your patience. You're on the black air. 
yes, assalamu alaikum, my brothers. Well, uh, how are you doing there, Brother Leroy and Brother Shango? This is Brother Zach. From the Manhood Training Program from Queens and from Issues in Sports on WHCR Radio. Listen, I uh, am involved in the education uh, of our children, and I've been in the education business now for uh, almost four decades. And uh, one of the things, one of my questions that I would like you to ask is uh, what is the parents of the children that you're talking about, what engagement uh, are they responsible for? Uh, that's part one. And part two is I agree with you, Brother Shango, but I just have a little different spin on the agreement. Uh, in New York City, okay, black folks and poor people, uh, we pay uh, 24, not just us, but we spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in our taxes uh, to the uh, school budget for the city of New York. Yes. Dollars every 12 months, okay, in public schools. Okay, we, we have a stake in the public schools, and we have a lot of money in them. Uh, um, I'm working with the Eagle Academy for Young Men, Okay, which is an alternative, but it's a public school. And then the other part is that we have to let our people know that a charter school is a public school also because they're using our tax dollars. So when I talk to folks, I don't differentiate between the charter and the public only in one area. Who owns the charter? And mm-hmm. that's, that's a very key point that you have to discuss and explain to folks. Okay, all of these charter schools are opening up all around the country. Okay, but black folks don't own the charter. Right. And the person who owns the charter, it's like he who has the goal rules. All right, so I'm, I am i don't exclude charter schools, but if we're going to open up a charter school, we need to own the charter because then we're in charge of who gets hired, who gets fired, how the curriculum goes, and everything else from A to Z. And that's not happening right now. Uh, and, and parents, okay, you have to get involved in the, your children's dreams. And, and, and I'm, I'm sending out a challenge, okay, to black men, okay, whether you're incarcerated or not, okay, whether you're a thief or a big-time doctor, you have to come out and get involved in the education of your sons. Okay, uh, Brother Shango is right. 65% of black, of black men, young black boys, all across the country, when they go into high school, ninth grade, they don't make it through the 12th. 65%. Okay, that's because there's no engagement with the young men. I'm not talking about the daughters. I'm just talk, concentrating on young black men. Just young black men. Now, we could throw in our brothers from the Hispanic community, and we're talking about a figure that might be a little bit higher, all right? We have to take care of educating our children. And you were right, Brother Shango. No other people are going to educate black children to compete in this global market with their children except us. Now, we have a 
I'm just saying, we have the most educated, okay, black family right now that we've ever had in our history. We can't make excuses. Our children's and the black legacy is on the line. If we want to take care of business, we, the black men, black, just like in the Million Man March, when black men came out and stuff got done, this is another critical issue. We got to come out. Okay? We have to come out and we have to take back our school system because we've invested in New York City so, hundreds Zach, gotta, and hundreds gotta, of millions of dollars. Brother Zach, you got to put it into form of a question. Question. I ask how would parents, what does he believe parents' role is in the education of their children? Our parents. What do black okay. parents, what should black parents do? Okay. Well, I, I, well, I, um, I think one of the things that you said was so critical in terms of how you described the whole charter school process in the sense that who owns it? Parents have to. The first thing that parents have to do, brother, is get over their their, their fear of the public educational school system. Tell them about it. Challenge their fear, and after they challenge their fear, they have to organize, unite, and begin to put forth an agenda that they want to see happen within the context of their local community school. And the reason why I start with fear is because, in my experience, I've met several parents who, that when they were students who came through the public school system, they did not have a great experience. And, and, and they, some of them didn't finish school. And so they feel at a disadvantage going into a school advocating for their child when they still have some dreams that have been deferred or they still have some issues about how their uh, public school experience was. So we have to uh, challenge that fear, and we have to overcome it, and then we have to begin to organize and, and, and do the things that you're talking about. Each one teach one. We educate uh, each other about what the, what the needs are and then begin to apply pressure um, uh, politically, uh, financially, and socially on the school system until we can extract what we need out of the school system on behalf of our children. Hmm. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you mentioned that thing about fear. And uh, I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to go so that another uh, person can come and talk about this. Okay, uh, One of the things that I say to parents, and you know Brother Leroy, I go around the city. I speak to hundreds and thousands and thousands of parents all the time. Yes. And this is the one thing that I tell them. Okay, my father, because I use, you know, you have to do uh, a self, a self-portrait, you know, a self, you got to talk about yourself. Okay, my father graduated from the third grade. Okay, he was functionally illiterate, and I didn't even know it until I was about ready to graduate from the 12th grade. Mm. And if he could be a beacon and a guiding light for me to get the quality education that I got, the parents who have that fear, the schools, when we open and deal with our public schools, we're not just educating the children. This is an education for the family. Yes. All right? And in the Eagle Academy, what we do is that we inspire and motivate and work with the parents so that the parents are also getting an education. All right? Yes. So if they That's need a, a GED, 
Well, we work with them to get that GED. We have a lot of parents who are motivated now. They're working with their sons. They go back to school to get their associate degree and their bachelor's degree. So this education thing that we need to talk to our community about, it's not just about our son and our daughter. Okay, it's about mom and grandmom and grandpop and uncle and brother and sister. It's about the entire family. And once the family realizes that this is what education is really about, public education, that's what it's really about. It's about the whole family. But we we can make it happen. We just got to get black men to uh, step off the sideline and get into the game. Okay, now yes. I go to parent association meetings all over this city. Ninety-five percent of the parent association meetings are all women. Yes. Okay, now all of the brothers ain't in jail. Okay, Some of them are. But even the ones in jail can write letters and send stuff, and they can receive uh, emails to encourage their children. They can be positive role models based on the, the negative example. All right? So I want to include everybody. All right? I want to jump in and just say, it reminds me of, you spoke about fathers. That was one of the things that happened when I was principal of Queens um, is that I started a program called PEST, and it stood for Parents Empowering Students Today. And what I did was I would get, you know, different uh, concerns raised to me by parents about what was happening at the school. This was very early on. And I said, well, why don't you come help me out because, you're, you know, two eyes are better than one. You might have a point of view or, or a perspective that is is uh, different from mine, but it may be a needed perspective in the whole the whole scheme of things. And, and I have to say this to educational leaders. You've got to not be so – got to learn how to develop some thick skin and don't take every criticism as an attack because sometimes that criticism is designed to help you become a more effective leader, which is a servant to the group that you're working with. So, you know, sometimes we we hold on to power and don't understand by relinquishing it and, and sharing it. Not everybody shares in the responsibility, but we all together share in the success. But the beautiful thing about this test program was that it was fathers. We, you know, we created a five- to 10-block safety radius around the school. And when the students left at the end of the day, there were men there that were 10 blocks away checking on them, making sure that they were safe, and they had walkie-talkies, and they were communicating back to uh, the school administrators and if there was any problems in the neighborhood. And the mothers would come out and say, you know, we feel so safe because we know our children are not just safe in the school, but they're safe going to school and safe leaving the school because there's presence of men. And they would... They would wear their pest jackets, and they had their uniform, and the student, they were easily identifiable. And then we started to work with the local precinct. Then they started to work with the local merchants, and we developed these partnerships. Well, the result of that was that, the far, that we decided that we needed to develop a parent resource center where we could focus on re-educating and training parents about the educational system, the process, and helping them to go back to, to focus on some of their educational needs. And that, my brother, is what is dangerous to those who don't want to see our children succeed. Yes, sir. Okay, brother, you, you, you're Thank hitting you. the, the nail on the head. And I'm going to go off, but I'm just saying this is a family thing. That's what public education is all about. And believe me, okay, we can make this work. What, what we have to do is 
the black family, we have millions and millions of success stories, okay? But the other media and the other folk who want us to be defeated, they always talk about the unsuccessful stories. Yes. We have to tell our story and talk about all of the successes. We've got to saturate our young people and tell them about all of the educational successes that we as a people have had since we've been here even during the time when it was a death penalty to learn how to read, we learned how to read, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, so we've got to tell our story. All right? Thank you, Brother Leroy and Brother Thank Shango. You. Keep on Thank teaching. Thank you, Brother. As- Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Brother Shango, uh, the fact that the program that you started in Queens is a mirror of what is happening at the Eagle Academy in terms of involving parents and uh, utilizing the school to further the education of the parents in addition to the students. That's innovation. That's that's what we're talking about, the opportunity to, to implement solutions from within the black community as opposed to petitioning some people who have set up a department of miseducation, and the indicators of the miseducation is the chaos in putting four schools into one school building, in having lunch at 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. That's chaos to set up four schools in a building and there's no opportunity for an athletic team. That That is doing it right in front of you depriving your students of an opportunity to uh, better themselves physically and also get them on the the, the, the uh, traditional track of getting a scholarship for some athletic endeavor. And these are the things that are happening right in front of us, which, which <laughs> with very little analysis coming from those people in the system now, there's a group called Black Educators, and they're trying to get their word out. And uh, Brother Zach in the Eagle Academy, they're doing what they're doing. There has to be some kind of broader communication of the innovations that people are making for the betterment of the education of black children in their communities. I want to do this uh I want to slide over to announcements, and then we're going to get back to your experience in Queens and conclude this interview as being part one because we we just can't cover everything. At the end of our session, we want to leave the audience with some things that they can do. So we have some announcements, advertisements, and we ask our audience to pay very close attention to them and support those businesses that you can within the realm of the Keys 107. The telephone number here is 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Hit 1 on your telephone keypad. That lets our engineer know that you have a question, and we'll be right back after these messages. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. 
Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam, the final call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the final call to Islam, the newspaper evolved into Muhammad Speaks in the 1960s and boasted a circulation of 900,000 a week with monthly circulation of 2.5 million. Today, the Final Call newspaper serves a readership of diverse economic and educational backgrounds, including circulation in North America, Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. Read the Final Call newspaper. You can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read FinalCall.com. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. This is MYBY, and you are tuned into the Keys 107 Network on Blog Talk Radio, opening doors to endless possibilities. Okay, we're black ladies and gentlemen. This is Brother Leroy, host of the communicators here on the Keys 107 Network. Coming to you by way of blogtalkradio.com, tonight's program deals with education. And although we deal with the situation dealing with black children, there are those of you in the audience who are not of the original nation. And the principles, PLES, that are discussed here, as you know, apply to you and your community as well as this community. The black community is the most deprived and the most challenged from an oppressive standpoint of the educational opportunities that should be available to everyone. And because of the depriving of education opportunities within the black community, the average opportunities that exist outside of the black community seem as though it's heaven because at least you ain't black and dealing with the negative situation that these guys are dealing with. So it makes yours look good, 
but at the very top is an elite an elitism philosophy that has certain students, a very small percentage, who are getting all the goodies in terms of educational opportunity, the tracking, et cetera. And I'm not talking about the tracking you see in your local communities. There's a track above that track. So uh, having said that, this is a program that is universally beneficial to each and every listener, and uh, hopefully you can take it that way. If you don't, well, I've had my say. Now, there are a couple of announcements that I want to make before we go back to Brother Shango Blake, and that is, number one, at 7 o'clock every Saturday, Minister Farrakhan is on NOI.org, and those of you who are able to listen this evening to him at 7 p.m. New York time, you heard another Straight With No Chaser presentation by the minister, and I encourage all of you who haven't been able to listen or have not known to listen to go to www noi.org and listen to the Time and What Must Be Done series. Also pick up the Final Call newspaper because the transcript of the previous week's presentation is right there and the current issue deals with the Inside the World Trade Center. Don't be tricked by what the media has put out there. Minister Farrakhan breaks it out as no one else has done in a general media way and that's in the current issue of the Final Call newspaper dated April 23rd. Tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, www.whcr.org, that's Harlem Community Radio, whcr.org, communicator program continues with Dick Gregory, and he will be discussing current events. And the most current event, of course, is the Boston situation. And those of you who want to tune in and listen to that at www.whcr.org, you can help yourself by going into the Internet and looking at websites, www.infowars.com, I-N-F-O-W-A-R-S, infowars.com, and also globalresearch.ca, globalresearch.ca. That stands for Canada. And now back to our program. Brother Shango Blake, I want to first of all thank you for taking this time and sharing your insights. It's only the tip of the proverbial iceberg of of, uh, goodness that you have. Actually, it's an iceberg that will sink the ship of white supremacy in education. Yes, thank you. All right. Now, the, the... points so far that are very easily implemented, in my opinion, is that if you are an administrator in a principalship or an assistant principalship and you're in a black community, there are certain things that you can begin to do that broaden the educational opportunities of the students in that school. There are certain things you can begin to do to bring parents in to the education process. There are things that you can begin to do to enable the youngsters to go on college trips even just in the city. Take them to an NYU or a city college or a hostos or uh, et cetera. You can come up with your own innovative program to get them into the hallways of a college so that they can see, and there are other things. 
and I'm just approaching it from a very parochial, very elementary standpoint. And, of course, there are supplementary programs that can be done by mosques, lodges, masjids, community centers that would enable children to learn some kind of musical or science endeavor on a weekend or a Saturday morning, not taking up the whole day but a Saturday morning, and also a help with homework kind of situation. So I'm just coming off the top of my head. This is the kind of dialogue here on the communicators that should charge your brain cells and say, hey, here's what we can do. Brother Shango, please continue. And I just want you to, uh, in terms of that Queens program, where you said that there, in your experience, there were, are, were, when parents find out that there's a gifted and talented program, they'll be lined up for a day or two in order to get the um, application process going. Now, what you did in the Queens School was equivalent to taking a dead-end school and moving it into the realm of a talented and gifted program from the standpoint of parents who now were shifting their children out of private schools, Catholic schools, into that Queens School. So tell us what was the condition you found that school in and what did you begin to do that drew the attention of parents to that school? Well, when I first uh, took over the school, we had, uh, I would say, was um, at least six principals in five years, so you had a high turnover in terms of leadership. Uh, you had a very low teacher morale and, 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 and apathy, and then you had people who just weren't teaching. You had everything that uh, uh, is you can describe in the way of urban blight, you know, uh, students' attendance was low, uh, the the community confidence was low, people did not want their child to attend the school, the what on the community was, you don't want your child to go to that school. Uh, the, 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 the rate of major incidents in the school were uh, high, and the school was performing so low that it was considered a school in need. It's a, it's a designation by the state. There's... Um, Schools that are considered SIR schools, which are schools under registration and review, which if you don't make the necessary um, uh, changes, then the state can come in and close your school down. Or there are schools in need of improvement, which is one step from the SIR process. So we were a school in need of improvement. Uh, I think that if we took an assessment, if you, if, if you had to, for those who like to measure schools by how they do on the assessments, uh, maybe 28% of the students in the school uh, just uh, passed the, the um, New York State uh, reading assessment, and it was, like, even lower. I think 21% had passed the math uh, assessment. So it was a school that was really suffering. Um, and um, I came in, and the first thing that I did was engage uh, the stakeholders, the teachers, uh, the parents, and the students themselves. And and one of the things that uh, I utilized was a thing called the School Comprehensive Education Plan. Now, since this is about educating uh, uh, the listening audience and, and solutions, uh, I want your audience to know that every school, every public school in New York State has a school 
comprehensive education plan. It's a document that is supposed to be created by, let me name the stakeholders, for the school administration in conjunction with teachers, parents, student leaders, and community and uh, civic partners. And they're supposed to sit and look at the data of the school. How did the students do in terms of certain tests? Uh, what is the attendance rate of the school? What is the graduation rate of the school? They're supposed to look at all these different indicators, and based upon those numbers, they're supposed to develop an overall vision for the school, mission for the school, goals, which are short-term, I mean long-term, and then short-term objectives. And then they're supposed to, and they're supposed to come to a consensus on these things, working together. So when you have all these different stakeholders on board, you have this this plan being looked at from several different critical lenses. Some are looking at it from a parental point of view. Some are looking at it from a teacher point of view. Some are looking at it from an administrative point of view. But you can't just make the plan in a vacuum. It has to be done by looking at where you are in terms of what the data says about your school and then developing uh, action plans to where you want to go. Now, the reason I mention this is that most school comprehensive education plans, in, in truth, are written by one person and then thrown away and put in a closet. And, if, and they're not even uh, looked at unless someone asks about it. The plan is supposed to be transparent. It's supposed to be a living document. It's supposed to be something that you refer to. So if I say I want to open up a, uh, a, a parent resource center, the question that should be asked to me, if I say that as a principal, then a parent, teacher, or someone in that, in that in school community should say, how does that fit into our plan? So this is a means for, for it's, it's a plan is almost like a constitution for the school. It helps keep everybody accountable to the direction in which we're supposed to be going. So it takes personality out of the discussion, and it, and it deals with principle and institution building. So the first thing I did was I got the plan that was sitting in a closet, dusted it off, and said to the, to the different stakeholders, have you ever seen this? And began a dialogue around coming up with a vision for the school and a mission for the school that was inclusive of everybody's input. One of the biggest issues that people have with the New York City Department of Education is that they come up with, come up with plans and then tell the parents about the plan after they've already made the plan. And so there's not an inclusive kind of approach to education. Well, if we were to follow the state mandate, New York City, the way they're doing things and rolling out charters and closing schools are out of compliance with the way in which we're supposed to be functioning. So once we got everybody on board and started to talk about the plan, then it was about building relationships around that plan, really strengthening the relationships with parents and showing them that we're here to to, to work with you, not not um, against you. And that takes time. It takes relationship building. It takes time to build trust because, you know, people were looking at me like, well, there were six principles before you. How are you, you going to be around to make any real effective change? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it takes time, you know, to build that relationship and gain that trust from, from parents, teachers, and the students themselves. And so... You know, we, we we looked at the plan and we started to put in programs that we knew would, number one, grab the student's imagination, 
but also challenged them in terms of making courses that were more academically rigorous. So we implemented a pre-nursing program, uh, pre-engineering, pre-law, pre-calculus. Uh, we we came up with the theme for the school, time, which meant teaching, innovation, motivation, excellence. That is how we evaluated ourselves. So if we were looking at any part of our program at the school, whether it was parent outreach, uh, uh, how a teacher was organizing uh, their classroom, whether it was how I was communicating with parents as a school leader, we always looked at time. Teaching, innovation, motivation, excellence. And if those benchmarks were not a part of it, then we knew that we had to do something drastically different to make sure that we had quality instruction, innovative approaches to to learning, that we were motivated within ourselves to do what needed to be done to move the school, and that we were motivating the children, and that we were constantly evaluating, okay, and educating ourselves about new processes. And from that theme, time, we came up with a song called The Time Is Now, It's Time To Shine at 109. And this, and, we, and it became the, the rallying cry about a new way and a new attitude and a new approach to learning. And the song was a hip-hop-based song that ended up uh, becoming a national model for HBO and featured in the Tribeca Film Festival uh, two years in a row. But it was, you couldn't come to the school and ask anybody what time it was because they wouldn't tell you the real time. They would tell you the time is now. It's time mm. is not at 109. It became mm. that infectious. But it was, it was a, we used hip-hop to reinforce the theme and reinforce the new culture that we had put in place at the school. And, and by consistently engaging uh, the different stakeholders, we made – uh, we, we we went from being the uh, one of the worst performing schools in the district to number one in reading, math, and one of the most sought after middle schools in that part of Queens. And like you said, people were actually taking their children out of private school and putting out putting their children in our school. And they would say, "This school is like a private school," um, and there was no fee, there was no lottery to get into the school. It was a zone school, so if you lived in the neighborhood, you could go. There was no test, but the culture that we put in place was so strong that no matter where you came from, within a matter of weeks, you would have been indoctrinated into the culture that we had established at the school. And because I didn't hold on to power and I shared it with with parents and, and the teachers, the parents and the teachers protected that culture because they saw the benefit of what was happening and they took ownership. What was the after school? What was the after school setup that was innovated? Oh, we had a manhood training program. We implemented uh, several art and music uh, programs. We had every club you can name. We had the African American club, the Latino club, the Indian Pakistani club. I mean, you name it. The, 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 we opened up the school to the community. We had churches come in and they would have their services on Sunday. We uh, did Kwanzaa every year. Uh, at the end of Ramadan, we worked with the Muslim Association out there, had big Eid celebrations at the school. The, the, the purpose, and we had every, and the school didn't close until 9 o'clock every night. And one of the reasons why was that we understood the importance of breaking down the walls between school and community, that 
that the school is dependent upon the community for for its success in terms of achieving the results, and the community also needs the school for for what it can provide in the way of space and resources and what have you. And so we partnered with community-based organizations, and it was a transparent kind of open-door policy. Like I said, the pets were there. They would come in. Parents were free to walk the halls. They could go in, spot check their child. And the mindset was that we don't have anything to hide. And I would hold the teachers accountable. Listen, parents are going to be up in here, so you need to be doing your job. Because if you're not, the parents are going to, are going to have something to say about it because they're here to protect the interests of their children. But I just want to say this to you, Brother Leroy, none of this could have happened without belief. It is all predicated on belief and lack of fear. And the reason why I want to say this is to you administrators out there, to my brothers and sisters who are out there working in some of these urban schools, I know you are faced with a myriad of challenges and a lot of pressure. And there's not a principal that's not afraid that one day they're going to be on the front page of the New York Post. And as, and as a person who's been on the front page of the New York Post, I want to tell you, it's not that bad. <laughs> I want to say to you that you have to understand that when you come into these schools, you're faced with one or two decisions. You can either go along or get along. Now, I'm talking about a principal who's working in an urban school, whether they're black, white, polka dot. You're going to be faced with one or two decisions. You can either look at substandard teaching and turn your head rub the right shoulders with the right people, and you probably will be rewarded by the system and move up through the ranks to a superintendent or something like that. Or you can run the risk of dealing with having your character assassinated for taking a stand and saying that in this school we're going to have teachers who have the love in their heart for our children, the belief that our children can learn, and the, the the fortitude to make it happen. And if you turn your back on poor teaching, then you you may uh, gain much uh, personally and professionally, but at the expense of the total destruction of our children. Brother Shango, we have a call on the line, Mr. Pianchi. Thank you for your call. You're calling from the Midwest, beyond the New York City scene, but we're happy to have your question, sir. Well, how you doing, Leroy, and to your guests? Excellent. How are you? You know, I didn't want to ask the question, but I did want to give you some, share my experience. I've been following this for about 40 years, the education and how it affects black children. Matter of fact, I go. I've been studying all the way back to Bedford Stew, and uh, you know, uh, and, and the puppets. And, and I think you mentioned that they got got you out of the system. Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Well, I've seen schools, public schools. We had one here in the Kansas City area that has been around since the system's African Senate program that was in the middle schools, elementary school, middle school, and high school. And those, the school ranked in the top six in the state of Missouri. Mm. And they had excellent parental participation, 500 people come out to board meetings. Mm. They struggled through the DSEG program and so forth. The school buildings didn't have no metal detectors in them. 
Mm. And last year, they closed them down. Mm. Not the so, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Detroit had a one called Paul Robeson and mm. Malcolm X. And they was doing excellent, too. The, the principal in Paul Robinson was uh, Mr. Johnson. He had c- tremendous community support. He didn't even put in any orders through. When he needed repairs, he had a system of 100 black men that would come in and make the repairs to the school building. They got rid of him. Excellent program. So, you know, you're absolutely right. They do close them. I don't know what to say about the uh, urban and and I'm talking about African American school. I know you said that you had a school that had different ethnic groups in, which is actually good. You offered much to it, but uh, they just not going to exist within the public school system. And you know another thing too. I've followed private schools like in Marcus Garvey's out in uh, South Central LA, where it's sixth grade children are doing advanced calculus. Some of them are taking a GED at the seventh grade going into taking a college entrance exam and carrying 13 and 19 units at 13 years of age. Mm-hmm. And the teachers, none of the teachers are certified. They are qualified. Mm. Yeah, so... This, uh, this is where, PRT, this is where? This that's the Marcus Garvey Academy in, in South Central Los Angeles, yes. I used to go around the country and, and sit in classrooms if, if it took a week and, and I would video from pre-school uh, up to high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Council of Independent Black Institutions, you got one, uh, they used to have like 80 schools across the country. Excellent education for black children. But uh, I've seen some schemes like when, when they would have, like in Trenton, uh, New Jersey, they would have a council of a CB school, and then the private, then, then, then the government would come open up a uh, a free school, you know, where the parents could take their children for free and right. try to put the other one out of business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, and, and, and what's happening is that 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 ties right into um, um, what I was saying before that if you push the envelope to the point where now our children are becoming competitive, they're competing now with 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 other children from other communities. That's when it becomes a problem. I mean. Everybody plays lip service to education. A politician wants to get elected, he says something nice about education. But when it comes down to the real nitty-gritty and the work, when you get in there and you start producing children who are, who are starting to develop a certain level of master, ma, you know, ma, uh, mastering certain disciplines, that is when it becomes a threat. And, it's, and, and, this is, and what you're describing it has happened time and time again. Schools have come, uh, reformers have come in, change schools, the students start to produce, something happens, the the, the 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 principal is removed, and then four or five years later, the school is doing worse than when that principal came in. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and you carried the key word in, in Leroy, it's about they don't want our children to compete against theirs. This See, is business. This is nothing about no emotions. This is nothing about no get along. This is nothing about no singing songs. It's about competition. Brother, Brother Piaki, Brother Piaki, uh, you said you had filmed. Is this on a YouTube or did you do DVDs of what you found? In the, they didn't in the have no DVDs back then. They had VHS. Oh, okay. Well, whatever you have, you you have a documentation that you might have shared with other people. We definitely would like access to that. But the school in Kansas City, 
what was the name of that school that was shut that down? That was a Kansas City school district. It was called Chick School. Now, yeah. what they did, now let me tell you what they did. They wanted to get from underneath the school board, so what they did, they say, I tell you what, for this amount of money, we will produce this type of performance. And the amount of money that they wanted was less than what the traditional schools were getting, and they was outperforming the other schools. Who is the who is the contact that would know the story of that school? I tell you what, if you was to email me, you got a sure. pencil. My email Definitely. is my email is L C Steel Lima Charlie S T E E L at mindspring dot com. M I N D S P R I N G dot com. Okay, great. So uh, what you steel. L C Steel at Mindspring dot com and uh of course you'll see Brother Leroy in the uh subject. Yeah, so I just wanted to tell you our ultimate thing that we need to do is have a home school. <clears throat> well that's that's that's, that's the that's the direction in which uh our discussions have to go as Brother Shongo and Brother Zach indicated earlier there there are some things that we can gain and extract from the current system. However, the energies of black people has been totally directed in that in that direction and has met with frustration and people get burned out. But if we have the independent uh endeavor which would take place either on a weekend or a couple of days a week, et cetera, that's to be worked out in the local areas and based on the local resources, that's where our minds have to be anyway so that parents at least will begin supplementary education programs where they are. That's programs that they develop for themselves within the family and in conjunction with other parents. But you're right, an independent school system for black people to learn and develop their God potential is and definitely they have to have. They have to have a, a economic component to the education component. That and I'm going to tell you one other, one other thing. You got two groups that I can identify right off the bat that that's uh, totally against this. One is the teachers union, yep. and the next one is that NAACP. Well, well, you said that the the uh, the the uh, the factor within the factor within and. Uh, that's good looking out because in future conversations we're going to have to explore those blocks within the black community that are there to divert and to sap the strength of black people headed in the right directions, whatever it is. That is and, the honest goodness truth. Yeah. All right, my brother, I want to thank you for your contribution and for your bearing witness based on the research that you've done as to what is going on around the country and, um, this is good. I want to thank you, dear brother. God bless you. And I want to thank uh, Brother Shango. I never had met you, but, you know, you had your heart in the right place, but uh, you just ran up. Uh, you're not the only one. Just let me put it like that. Yes, sir. I'm in good company. Thank you again. Yes. Brother Pianchi, brother Pianchi uh, those individuals who are willing to talk from their various areas that you've had contact with, these are the kind of stories that we want to expose to our public because we think it's an, when I say we, I'm talking about the collective we, we see in 
instances of someone being pushed out of the school as being, well, he or she must have done something wrong. And the media tool is always used by the institution to sully the name of the individual. But when we find out that there is a pattern of successful teachers, effective principals who have been removed from schools, and in the case that you're talking about, entire schools shut down, then we can begin to see a pattern that will let us know we have to combine together in order for a group survival. So um, I'll email you, and you just send the information our way, okay? I'll be looking forward to it. And God bless you and your family, brother. Thank you very much, sir. Brother Shango, we're winding up. I'd like for you to, and this is only interview number one. We'll have to set up interview number two, part two on this. I'd like for you to give some points, uh, either that we've talked about in summary and some direction which parents can begin to implement themselves in aiding their children to learn, whether they're a toddler, a baby, or a teenager. Yes, sir. Uh, well, uh, what I was going to say is I want to go back to parents. Uh, you know, again, we talked about educating ourselves about the process. Most schools, uh, school districts have a website that, that, that gives a guideline to sort of the policies of the school, what they're implementing. They, they, they often, like with New York City, they often have parent forums and uh most parents don't know about it because they, they, they don't check the website or it's not it's not heavily uh, promoted because they really don't want a lot of parents to come out. But I'm not talking about when, when you're coming out to, like, a meeting about something that, that people are up in arms about. But there's these quiet meetings where they have curriculum discussions. They talk about what kind of books that they're going to order. And they talk about what's going to be taught in history class. And, and they talk about uh, the, the the rules that are going to govern uh, policies and procedures in terms of the school discipline code. Check your school district's website and find out when those meetings are and attend. They're usually called um, preliminary sessions. Go to those meetings because they're open to the public. You can uh, you can actually not just listen. You can be involved in the process. You can uh, raise it. You know, raise. Uh, uh, objection to something that you don't like because what happens is by the time the information gets to you as the parent, it's already went through several stages and they're just getting ready to rubber stamp it. And then the, and then that's when the parents come on come out because they found out about the information when it was too late. So to 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 be informed is power. Okay, knowledge is power. We are in the information age, and with all the technology that exists, let's use our smartphones for more than going on silly websites. Let's use these these technologies that we have to get get access to information um, that will help us uh, uh, stand up for our children. The second thing is, I want to give a message to teachers that that I don't. This, Make sure you're you're educated in Black history, and that you know who we are as a people. We we what we we well, excuse me what we went through in terms of struggle. For example, how many teachers have read the Miseducation of the Negro? How many teachers know about educators who have done phenomenal things that have furthered our cause in terms of education, like uh, 
in uh, a Dr. Adelaide Sanford. Do you know that name? Do you know about the struggle that happened uh, that is part of the uh, Eyes of the Prize series, Ocean Hill, Brownsville? Do you know the role of the black teachers when the parents took over the school and the teachers went on strike because they didn't want the school to have community control? What that brother said was 100% right. The, the union went on strike not for better salaries. They went on strike because they didn't want black people to have control of their own schools in their community. And it was the black teachers who stood up and said, if y'all open up these schools, then we're going to go in and help you educate the children in spite of what our colleagues are doing. So what role did those black teachers play to pave the way for you? And are you coming in there today with the lack of knowledge of who we are as a people and contributing to the problem and socializing with the same people who never wanted us to have community control in the first place? And then, of course, the, the black administrator. You have to make a decision on what kind of administrator you're going to be and are you going to be the person that's going to just go along and get along so that you can move your career forward, or are you going to take some stands on behalf of our children? So, I mean, that would be my message to to, to, to those stakeholders because it's not one in particular. It is a, I say what happens in education is like a perfect storm. We have parents who are not involved, you have administrators who are afraid, and teachers who are unaware that you have the perfect storm that, that for for the self destruction of our young people. Excellent. Brother Shango Blake, I will add from the standpoint of being a grandparent and a parent that tools readily available to parents in addition to what you said and direction that you've given, very important and very valuable because you've given it from the inside. These are things that are known but are not shared by educators to parent groups or individual parents. Taking your child to a museum is supplementary education. Yes. Getting your child blocks to play with and working with them and telling them stories, reading them stories, having them read something back to you, that's supplementary education. You're looking at the the school building as being the 1,000% vehicle for your child being educated, and you'll be wrong. Don't wait for your child to go to school and learn how to spell their name or write A, B, C, D, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and know, know how to count. Have them count on their fingers, their nose, their eyes, everything. Have them know how to count. So supplementary education is everything that is readily within your access, within reach in your home or a train ride or a bus ride to a museum, and to a planetarium, et cetera. Uh, the father of the the brother who is the head of the New York Planetarium, his father's name is Cyril Tyson, an educator. He said that uh, uh, the the one that heads the the planetarium is called the Grass. I, I can't remember the whole name. But anyway, that's his son. He said, I got my son involved in a course at the planetarium at the age of nine. Museums, planetariums have courses, and you should take a look at them. Some are priced beyond your range, but if you make a sacrifice, the family makes a sacrifice and puts your child into a course that they can relate to, then 
that's meaningful. Not to put your child into a course for show that you got your child in the museum or the planetarium or something like that. Have it be something that they can relate to and you can relate to that's meaningful. So this has been the communicators. Brother Shango Blake will be black with us. Brother Shango, you also on the Keys 107 network. What What is the day and time of your program? Um. Well, I'm not on the keys right now, brother. You're not? Okay. All right. Um, the fact is, he'll be black with us, ladies and gentlemen. Brother Shango Blake will be black up in here, and you just have to tune in, watch for the emails that I send out, and for the announcements on Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank all of the producers of the programs here on Blog Talk Radio, the engineers, Sister Rafika, Brother James, Brother Jason, Brother Elijah, etc. want to thank you all for making this program possible, and may God bless each and every one of us with success, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and the furtherance of the education of our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our community. God bless you all. Peace. I believe, I believe, and I believe, oh, 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 I believe there is hope for us all to find the love that we love. I believe there's a dream we can share to have peace in our times. But it starts in our hearts Love is what we all need Love is what we pray
Unlocking the doors to unlimited possibility. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.